E ngā kaiwhakarongonu ngā hau e whā, nau mai haramai ki tēnei hōtaka. This is Te Ahikā, your weekly Kaupapa Māori series, providing insight into Te Ao Māori, all the Māori world. This week we're back with Mā Tangirea, a series that explores the political legacies of six former Māori MPs. Presented by Morgan Godfrey this week, he joins Tuariki Dalamere. Aotearoa is a nation of voyages, but since the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi, Māori have had no direct influence over who and what comes over our borders. But in 1996 that changed, albeit briefly. The Honourable Tuariki Delamere entered Parliament as a Minister for New Zealand first and became responsible for crucial portfolios like customs, immigration and associate finance. After just three years he was gone, but in his short time he made a lasting impact. Ko apanui te tangata, ko ta whānau apanui taka iwi, ko ngati pai akau ki whitianga taku hapu. Ko marai nui te whenua tūturu, pai akau ki whitianga taku hapu. Ko marai nui te whenua tūturu, ko te motu te awa, ko te mana nui a kiwa, Te moana, ko tūraki taku pāpa, ko takiora taku mama, ko tūraki ahau. I hear you're a world record holder. Can you tell me about that? Well, a world record holder of sorts in 1974. I was a pretty good long jumper, but at the Pacific Championships in Los Angeles in the Coliseum, without anyone knowing about it except my immediate coach, I opened up with a somersault long jump. That's still the world record because they banned it a few months later, so no one can break it. Is that what took you to the US as well? Because you left Tauranga Boys College and you went mm. to the United States. Is that what took you there, the athletics? Yeah, it was. I just started Auckland University. I'd been admitted to the medical school there, and then I got all these scholarship offers because I was able to jump a fair distance. And So I chose one of them, went and saw the dean and asked him what he thought, and he says, well, if it had been me, I would have gone last week. So off I went. I wonder if you got any sort of special attention, I'll put that in quote marks, at school because you were a Māori boy? Well, I did get special attention. I was the first third former 1965 on day two to get the bloody cane. Hurt too, but never mind. School was great. I mean, in 1967, I was the top Māori student in New Zealand for school certificate and I was awarded the Hwani Waititi Award. And what's sad is, at that time, my father never said anything. Two years later, in the seventh form, or year 13 now, I came top and was awarded the Te Moana Nuiakiwa Ngārimu Scholarship. And again, my old man never said anything, but I never knew that Ngārimu is actually a Delamere. He's what we call a by God Sama, descended from the original um, by God Sama. His mother, uh, Mariah, she came from Momayo. But these things, now we know all about it, and our kids are taught, our mokos are taught, and it's such a rich history, and it just really grates me that, that we missed out on all that. But hey, um, it's never too late, and the mokos today, my goal is to make sure they know who they are and where they come from. I'm really jealous of you because, one, you're an athlete, but you're also a scholar. and you got no, I'm MB- the current Asia Shopboard champion <laughs> for my age <laughs> Don't group. rub it in, don't <laughs> rub it in. 
You went to the US and you got an MBA and you mm. also worked at the West Point Military Academy. Mm. That's the most prestigious mm. military academy in the yeah. world. How did you end up there? Oh, they had a thing called the draft back then and I had a green card, so I was a permanent resident. And if you're a permanent resident, you're eligible for the draft. Anyway, a mate of mine was um, a US gold medalist in the 68 Olympics and he said, my numbers came up, he orchestrated it for me to go to West Point. So technically I was an accounting specialist. And I did that during the day, but the real reason I was there, they wanted someone to coach the jumpers. And the academy's just amazing. United States Military Academy, it's the school of MacArthur, General Patton, Eisenhower, and just an incredible institution. And I was lucky and fortunate to be able to be there for a few years. How did you feel coming back? Um, Yeah, it was a bit different. Um, I ended up in Kawaro. Working at Tasman Pulp and Paper, timber, timber Division Accountant, took over from my cousin Monita. And yeah, just did those things. Though I spent three years after that, I got the position as Chief Finance Officer for Polynesian Airlines when ANSET took over their airline. They sent me up there, so I was there for three years. I was the country manager um, for a major US computer firm, a mainframe firm. Um, concurrent computers. But one day in 1990, I decided I didn't want to sell computers anymore, and I ended up getting the position as manager of treaty negotiations for the Treaty of Waitangi Policy Unit, now known as OTS, Office of Treaty Settlements. In 1996, New Zealand First was preparing to contest the first MMP election, standing a candidate in each of the five Māori seats. Tuariki was approached to stand in Titaidafiti. When Winston rang you, did he ring you out of the blue or did you already have a relationship with him? Well, I had a relationship, but you know, nothing that close. I didn't belong to New Zealand first or anything like that. I had been impressed with him. I agreed with some of the positions he was taking when he had been with National. So at that time, TPK, Wood Gardner, was looking for a regional director um, for the Whakatane office. So I decided, well, if I have any chance of getting the nomination for New Zealand first, I need to go home. So I put in for the job, and my job is to go around from marae to marae doing whatever. So there I am, campaigning, building up a base, and it duly came to pass. New Zealand first won all five Māori seats. Tuariki was joined by Tutakawa Wiley, Tukuroirangi Morgan, Tauhenare, and Rana Waitai. So did you know at that time that you were going to get in in 1996? Or were you surprised when um, it actually happened? We were like, oh, no, we made it happen. Yeah, I mean, you're never totally convinced, but I was pretty sure we were going to win all of them. Yeah, I mean, Winston did an incredible job getting, you know, basically blue rents old park here into the same walker as Māori. But unfortunately, once we got there, he didn't carry f- through it and sort of put us at different ends of the walker and you, Māori, keep your head down. And, of course... With us five, we were never going to shut our mouths up, and, yeah, it got a bit testy at times, to say the least. How did he marginalise the Māori MPs? It was just, you know... Um, I'll give you a good example. Um, when Jim Bolger resigned from Parliament after he got rolled by Shipley, the Māori MPs, the five of us, were told we weren't allowed to go anywhere near the king country and get involved in the election campaign. Is that sort of thing. Just keep your heads down. Don't say things that will upset um, 
Winston's basic voting bloc. Mm. And that was sad because I think if Winston had had the, you know, perhaps the courage to move forward on that, um, New Zealand First could have been a lot bigger and better. And New Zealand First might have actually developed to an actual party of a party. The reality is right now it's still Winston. And that's their problem. I mean, look, you can't knock Winston. For God's sake, he's been there for 40, over 40 years now. Um, but there is no party beyond Winston that I can see. After the election, New Zealand first held the balance of power. The government wouldn't be decided by the voters, but by Winston Peters. 12th of December, when we signed with National, I knew I was a one-term MP. I knew Māori, Māori would punish us. And, and they did in three years' time. Did you tell Winston that at the time? No, I mean, Winston wouldn't have cared anyway. But, you know, I mean, it didn't matter. I mean, it came through... Um, National made incredible offers. You know, they gave away the bank pretty much. At least that's what it looked like to us. Now, what did Labour offer? Well, they didn't offer anything. At least that's what we were told by Wayne. At the end of the day, the negotiations were handled by Wayne, Wayne Peters, Winston's brother. And presuming, you know, Wayne was telling us, you know, the gospel truth, uh, it was an easy decision. You know, I mean, it was incredible. You had, what, 17 MPs? And we had um, nine ministers. You know, and only four, four of us had been in Parliament before. And five were in Cabinet. So we knew a brand new person would be in Cabinet. And I was fortunate and lucky enough to be that person. You know, here I am. Um, a few months ago, I was just Joe Blow walking the streets of Whakatane and up on the hills of the Uruwetas and etc. And now I'm a Cabinet Minister. Now, normally the situation is Prime Minister's at the top of the beehive then number two, three, and four, and so on. And because I was ranked on about 17th, I should have been down on the third or fourth floor. But Winston insisted that I had an office next to him, so I was on the seventh floor. My Uncle Spady, Betty Delamere, and my Auntie Emma Rogers brought them down, and the late Whareikai, who were coats. And we had a ringatū ceremony, started about 4 a.m. in the morning. And then after prayers, about 6 a.m., as Parker staff started arriving. You got all these Māoris chanting away, doing their ringatū waiata, and then we went round and sprinkled the holy water to, um, to cleanse the area. And then finally, did my office. And after that, we we, we tied to um, one of the conference rooms where we had a breakfast put on. And during breakfast, the elders approached me. They wanted me to take a Māori because back then I was just John Edward Delamere. And they says, you're the first from the coast to ever be a cabinet minister, you know, from our iwi, etc., etc. We'd like you to consider taking your father's name. Well, if you've ever met some of my aunties, I'm not going to argue with that lot. <laughs> and it so, it so happened. We had, a, if you like, a, a ring or two baptism ceremony in the first week of January where I took my father's name, Tōrigi. And so I still retain that from my time in Parliament. And at that ceremony, Auntie Maka gifted me this taonga that came down from um, great-grandfather Takuhi, I believe. And so, yeah, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, that's a huge honour. But I wonder if you got any backlash or pushback for it. Oh, I got a little bit. In fact, the most memorable part was, um, you know, I got attacked in the house by Jonathan Hunt. 
for having the audacity to take the name Toriki because their literal translation is like you know, the bee's knees, you know, the high chief of, of all high chiefs sort of thing. And, yeah, that was disappointing that uh, Jonathan decided to, uh, you know, play politics and uh, basically not attack me. He was attacking Te Whānau Apanui, Ngāti Wāhia, Tūhauranga, Whakatohia and the others. One thing I'm interested to know, your position on, as you were Minister of Customs, you were Minister mm-hmm. of Immigration, the first Māori Minister, I think, of Immigration ever. You fixed it in a very, really interesting sense because you were well ahead of your times. You gave gay and lesbian couples equal rights when they yeah. were applying for permanent <laughs> residency. Can you walk me through that? Well, if you were in a same-sex relationship, you had to prove you'd been in a relationship for four years. Um, back then, if you were in a hetero relationship, only two years. So I said, right, change it. It's going two years for, het- for, for homosexuals as well as hetero. Oh, you can't do that, Minister. Oh, okay. Then put hetero up to four. What do you mean? They're both going to be the same, bro. We're not going to discriminate on, um, you know, on sexual preference or whatever. Yeah, those sort of things. You, you actually got to make a difference. It annoyed me that there was such discrimination in there. We had a language bond which put in, of $20,000, which is really put in place to make it more difficult for Chinese. And I wasn't going to have that either. We've crapped on Chinese ever since the mid-1800s. We had a special law passed to try and charge them like a year's salary to get a bloody visa about 100 years ago. And so I just want things... We're all the same on this planet. And, you know, so, yeah, that was great to be able to influence those sort of things. You once made a major power play over Kapahaka. Can you tell us about that? First time I annoyed Winston a bit because he was the treasurer. And I was standing on stage down there at Tōrere at our Mātātua Kapahaka there in 97. And I was thinking about it, and I was talking to some of the, the big bosses from Matatini, and um, so how much funding do you get from the government? Oh, zero. Oh, that's crazy. I know we're giving zillions to the ballet, zillions to the orchestra. So I, I guess, big noting myself, I'm on the stage, introduced, and asked me to give a speech, and says, look, this is amazing, you know, we do this. This is the biggest cultural event in the country. And I've just discovered that we get zero funding um, from the government. I'm going to get funding. So I go back. I'm associate treasurer, budget discussions, and I'm told by Bill Birch, no, because he's my senior. Um, Doug Graham says, oh, that's not real culture. Real culture is the ballet and the orchestra. Well, you know, stuff you, um, Doug. Um, I'm going to refuse to support the budget. Well, that's an interesting thing. I'm associate treasurer. <laughs> you, know, I'm, you don't do that. Anyway, Bolger found out and called me up to his office. What's this all about? And I explained to him. He said, what do you think they should get? Well, Jim, the ballet get like $5 million, the orchestra gets $10 million or whatever it was, those numbers. At the very least, we should get at least a million. Yeah, I agree. I'll make sure it happens. And Bolger was brilliant like that. He was very pragmatic. Um, and that's where they got their funding. The real disappointing thing is, I understand 20 years later... That's still all they get. So, you know, to my successors of me and Toe and the rest, hey, you guys, you've got nine Māori ministers, I think it is, and four other brownies. Have a look at um, the funding for our, of, of our culture compared to um, ballet and the orchestra. So I tell you what, 
There ain't too many tourists come to this country to look at our ballet and look at our orchestra. But in 1997, Jenny Shipley rolled Prime Minister Jim Bolger, shattering the relationship between National and New Zealand First. Jenny Shipley called you, she appointed you Minister of Immigration. Mm. What was your relationship like with her? Generally pretty good. I mean, Jenny's a very social person. For example, Helen's not. I mean, I didn't have a lot to do with Helen, but tell you what... I've got incredible respect um, for Helen, I mean, especially as her role as Prime Minister, being able to hold their lot together for nine years. But we had a very good professional relationship. But with, with Jenny, there are a couple of issues that I was disappointed with. Two days before the election in 1999, um, she had been approached by Immigration New Zealand. They were annoyed with me because I'd granted a residency to 22 people, um, half from mainland China, half from Taiwan, that were supporting um, projects, two Māori projects. One was up north that had been put together by Shane Shane Jones. The other one had been put together in the Hawke's Bay by Wehuata and others. And I mulled over it. And back then the policy said if you had a million dollars, basically you could get a residency. Well, they had 15 million, I think it was. So it wasn't enough for all 22. But as minister... Um, I could circumvent that and grant... You could grant residency or a visa to anybody you wanted. So I finally did that because Māori could never get bank loans. And here's a bunch of Chinese willing to put out 15 million. And so I approved it eventually. And Jenny wants me to undo it all. I refuse. And she says, well, I want it done, done. Well, I'm not going to do it, but if you want, I'll resign as immigration minister. She said she'll get back to me. She never did get back to me. About two hours later, Paul Holmes got back to me. He says, hey, bro, you've been fired. Anyway, I went that night on the home show and, you know, I was the front page of all the newspapers the day out from the election. And um, in due course, two days later, I lost my seat. National were out of government. And I had the best kickstart marketing campaign ever because the Chinese community thought I was a martyr. <laughs> so that played well into my new career as an immigration advisor. But it was pretty disappointing that Jenny Shipley did that because she was playing the Māori card as far as I was mm, concerned. Mm. Did you have a feeling that she was going to sack you? No, did not you at all. Did you back your mind? Not at all. I mean, we had a conversation and I told her, look, I'll resign, but I'm not going to back down because decision that I made, one, was totally legal. I was allowed to do it, and it would have been good for New Zealand. And subsequent events have proven that what I was trying to do was good for New Zealand. We now have regional incentives to try and bring migrants' investment money there. But I don't think she really cared about that. She was trying to save her position as the Prime Minister. And maybe if she whacks an upstart cheeky Māori around, that might get a few more votes. Now... Jenny probably did say that wasn't how it was at all, but that's how I saw it. With New Zealand first, when the, the type five mm-hmm. stayed with the National Party and Winston left, he mm-hmm. left with Bolger. But you didn't go into Modi Pacific with Toe and the other yeah. New Zealand first MPs. You started your own party. What was the co-popper of that? Yeah, the split with Winston um, wasn't a split from Bolger. Bolger got rolled by Jenny. Uh, Winston was apoplectic over that because he had a good relationship with Jim. Um, he had a rather poisonous relationship with Jenny, and, yeah, it festered away and finally blew apart. 
And while I understand you know, how Winston felt, I think the way he did it was wrong and I ended up quitting the party over the Wellington Airport. Um, and I was out of my own what to do. So um, overnight I became an independent and then I took my elders back home, um, led by the late Tefari Kaihua Coates, and Willie says, ah, don't be an independent, go and register Tafaro. You know, in the sort of in memory of the Kōti Rikirangi o Tahai Ringatū, and that's how that came about. So um, for a year and a half, the Tafaro, the Hahi Ringatū was in, the, was in Parliament, I guess. But I was surprised, and that was me. But two, two or three days later, Tō took out another six or seven, and I think five of them formed Māori Pacific. And... They asked me to join. I said, nah, you know, I'm going, I came in this way, I'll go out that way. And I would have been very pleased if they had won and got in, but chances were, like with me, you know, not too good. Was it, it a lonely time for you? No, not at all. Um, it was a great time, me and Ko and Tuku and Tutukarana. You know, in some ways it was freed up because our caucuses were at times quite poisonous affairs over Māori issues. So once we split, we didn't have that problem. And we continued. Both Toe and I were fortunate enough to be kept as ministers by Jenny Shipley. And we just put our heads down and we got a year and a half. We did the best job we could. Do you have any regrets from your time in Parliament? Only one. And while I made that decision, I don't think I handled it very well when I quit the party. It was a Friday in Whakatane. I was going to be interviewed by Sean Plunkett at seven. He was going to interview about something. I told his producer, nah, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. He says, oh, no, Mr Plunkett wants to talk about that. I don't care what Sean wants to talk about. If he doesn't want to talk about what I want to talk about, then we'll talk to somebody else. Anyway, Sean came on. That's okay. Anyway, that was about quarter past seven on the Friday morning, I think it was. And anyway, um, two hours later, every TV truck within 200 miles was rolling into Whakatane trying to find me. At that time, I was up at a tohunga's place um, doing Ringatū stuff. Um, but in reflection, while I disagreed with what Winston had done, yeah, um, perhaps I should have handled it differently. So, yeah, there is a degree of regret there in that sense. What's your proudest achievement looking back? Looking back is that I stood my ground. If I believed in something, come hell or high water, I did it and refused to back down on things like that. So, um, and so that's what I consider, I guess, my main achievement. Just that's what I thought was right and that's what I did. Tangirea presented by Morgan Godfrey with Tuiriki Dalamia. Ma Tangirea is produced by the Aotearoa Media Collective thanks to the RNZ New Zealand On Air Innovation Fund. The six-part series returns next Sunday here on Tiahika. In the meantime, you can check out the entire video and podcast series at the podcast page rnz.co.nz. Katira Mutinewa, Tinetim Hikawatu Kyakoto Katua, Modi to Modiora.
Kote kore kare re. 